Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 110th Psalm. Psalm 110, if you will. This is the priest-king psalm, and it has reference to Jesus. And in Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So David is saying here in this very first verse, he's showing us the lordship of Christ. David is called the Messiah, Jesus, or Lord. And he said, The Lord said unto my Lord, You have Jehovah actually said to Adonai, some of them say Adon, actually it's pronounced A-D-O-W-N. We get the A-I on the end of it, Adonai. So Jehovah, he says, God the Father, Jehovah God, said unto my Lord, and he's confessing the Lordship of Christ. Jehovah means the existing one. He said to Messiah, or to Christ, to the anointed one, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So you see that there's a distinction of persons, yet God is one. So one, God the Father said to God the Son, so you find there's a conversation, and David was privileged to hear this wonderful uh, exchange between the Father and the Son, and he used it in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus used it in the New Testament when uh, they called Jesus, David's son. Let me read for you in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. And remember, the Pharisees were giving Jesus a great deal of trouble. Uh, I made a mistake, chapter 22, I'm sorry. But uh, the Pharisees were giving Jesus a great deal of trouble and questions about everything, and he gave them answers about everything, as usual. But in verse 41, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, He says, Well, now you've asked me all these questions. I'm going to ask you a question. He says, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Well, Jesus was the son of David according to the flesh. But then he said, He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? So he put a question to them, didn't he? How is he then his son? And so to, to uh, really answer this question, they would have to admit that Jesus Christ was born of, uh, of the, made of the seed of David according to the flesh, but then they'd have to also confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because God said to Lord, Jesus is quoting where it says, the Lord said unto my Lord from the psalm. And it says, And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So you always see the wisdom of Jesus in dealing with this situation. Jehovah gave Jesus a place in his throne. He said, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jehovah said unto Adonai, or Adonai, the Hebrew word Adonah means Lord. This affirms the divine nature of Jesus. In fact, you'll have uh, several things to indicate that in the, uh, the book of Acts chapter uh, 2. If you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 through 36. Well, it'd be best if we drop back uh, with verse 25. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, that is concerning Christ. Acts verse 25 for David speaketh concerning him I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he's on my right hand that I should not be moved therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad more also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave 
my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Now look. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the, by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. And so he speaks of the... Well, if we go on down and read verse 35. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but... He saith unto himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So it shows the, the fact that uh, this psalm that David is giving us here, the 110th, has a lot of uh, ramifications. Jesus not only used it, but it will use... Peter used it on the day of Pentecost to show uh, the resurrection of Christ and how that what David was saying, he was speaking of Christ and his resurrection and his ascension to the throne, the right hand of God. And we'll find other things in this psalm as we study it. And uh, look at verse uh, 2, back in our psalm. 110 verse 2. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Now Zion was, uh, of course, another name for Jerusalem in those days the place where God sent forth his law. And here it says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So we see that complete victory is certain for the Lord Jesus Christ. He will. It says in verse 1, Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. We know there's going to be complete victory. We also see that he here is the rod of God's strength. Jehovah will send Jesus the rod of his strength. And his strength is manifested in various ways. First of all, his strength is given today through the power of the gospel. You know, Jesus said before he went back to heaven, all power, authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And he says, go and preach the gospel. Paul said, this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It says in the last part of this second verse, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Jesus rules in the midst of his enemies. His followers. You know, we have the power of the gospel that goes forth. The Bible says that all enemies will be put under his feet in the future time. Someone says, well, does the Lord have enemies? Does his followers have enemies? In John 15, you read the whole passage, and I'll just give you a portion of it. Verses 18 through 21. Jesus says, if the world hate you, that's enemies, isn't it? He says, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So, we have to confess the fact that the world and the devil is against God and the things of God. I think I mentioned some of that Sunday. How that uh, our great enemy fights against the truth of, of God's word and fights against God's people all the t uh, while. And God has promised us deliverance in spite of the fact there's a continual conflict. And if you look in verse 3, it says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Look at this. In the beauty of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of, of thy youth. What does it mean 
his followers willing in the day of his power. That means that they're not forced followers. The followers of Jesus are voluntary. Jesus said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you to be a follower. We're not like puppets on a string. We're not being dictated unto by the Lord, though he lays down his law that we must obey or we suffer the consequences. But nevertheless, we have the right to either choose him or refuse him. And the thing about it is, it says here that thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. If we'll think about God's power as far as conversion is concerned, people have to be made willing. As far as discipleship, as far as you and I following the Lord, we have to be of a surrendered will to be the true follower of Jesus. We can't just be rebellious children and be willing in the day of His power. And the day of His power is that which makes us to be submissive and willing. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and whosoever will let him come. See? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, God's church, God's people, and then say, Come. And then it says, And whosoever will let him come. So you have the privilege. It says uh, further in verse 3, In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. In other words, from the womb... His people are a holy people from birth and from the new birth. The Bible says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And that's how God's people. He says, uh, All flesh is of grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass, and, and the grass withers and falleth away. But says, The word of the Lord endureth forever. Now listen, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This word... Uh, that is incorruptible seed is which by the gospel is preached unto you. And that's when you're born again, not of corruptible seed as as, uh, we've spoken of, but as incorruptible seed. The last part of verse 3 says, Thou hast the dew of thy youth. Jesus has retained his youth and strength. We find that uh, David is a good type of Jesus. There was a time, though, that David got too old to fight the battles and his youth was not maintained. 2 Samuel 21, it tells that he fought with the Philistines and David waxed faint. So we get older, we get weaker. Jesus didn't get weak. David is a good type and he got too old to fight, but Jesus is never too old to fight the battle. In Revelation chapter 1, it says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold what? I am alive forevermore. And he came forth with power. Verses 4 on down, we have the priesthood of Christ. Look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. This will never change. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God had sworn that Jesus Christ would be a priest and a king. We've been talking about some of the the rulership of Christ earlier. And we'll see some more of it in the latter part of this short psalm. But we also see that he is not only king, but he's priest. And he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I want you to notice that verse very carefully. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever. It didn't say that there would be uh, an order of priests from Melchizedek. But only one to come from Melchizedek or be after the uh, likeness of Melchizedek. And that was Jesus. There's not a priestly order set up after that order. There was uh, the 
uh, Aaronic priesthood or Levitical priesthood, of which Aaron was a head, but, and that was established under the law. But there was never a priesthood established other than in one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll talk a little bit more about this uh, Melchizedek in a moment. It was predicted that Jesus would be both a priest and a king. In Zechariah 6 verse 13, let me read this for you. Zechariah 6 verse 13, it says, Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. There's the king. Look at that. Only a king sits and rules upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. Look at that. Any priest of the Old Testament, any king of the Old Testament, I should say, that tried to venture into the office of being a priest, even under the Levitical law, was smitten and judged by the Lord, wasn't he? You remember several incidents of that. And they came out of the priesthood lepers. They came out smitten because they would do wrong. But here, look at this verse. It's a very important verse. If you don't have it down, you ought to write it down. Uh, Zechariah 6, verse 13. It says, Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. Here's the throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. You never find that anywhere. He shall be a priest upon his throne. A priest never sits upon his throne except Jesus. And the council of peace shall be between them both. So here's one that's king of kings and lord of lords and also is priest after the order of Melchizedek. How was Jesus made a priest? In Hebrews chapter 5 verses 5 and 6. Let me read this for you. Hebrews 5 verse 5 and 6 it says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He not only said, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee, but he said, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you turn over to the seventh chapter, in verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, this is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, that means without pedigree, this man Melchizedek, you do not find a record of his father or mother or of his descent at all, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, you don't know when he was born, you don't know when he died, but he was a man. But this man, speaking of a man, it says, But made like unto the Son of God, like unto the Son of God. Some have claimed that he was the Son of God, but it says he was made like unto the Son of God. Abideth the priest continually. Now in verse 4 it says, Now consider how great this man was. So the fact that we have no record of his beginning, or of his ending, or of his father, or of his mother, or nothing about his pedigree, it says, Consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of, of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they've come out of the loins of Abraham. But he, look at this, whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. 
There's so much more that you could say about Melchizedek. But remember that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. might give you one more thing there, and you'll find it in the uh, later on in the seventh chapter to really bring the thought into view. It says in Hebrews 7 verse 17, For he testified, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without, without an oath, but this with an oath. In other words, those priests, the Levitical priests, were made without an oath, but this with an oath. This one referring to Christ. By him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, a better covenant than was under the law, a better covenant than God made with his people Israel. Jesus was made a surety of a better testament, the new covenant of grace. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. In other words, death would cut them off from their office because if they died, they could no longer serve, certainly. And they were men that lived and died and served. There were many priests. And so the priestly line continued as far as the Levitical priesthood is concerned. I want you to look, look in verse uh, 21 and 23 if you have Hebrews 7. Thou art a priest. Look at that. Singular. Thou art a priest. A priest. Singular. Now then. Verse 23. And they truly were many priests. Plural. You see that? So it shows you that this office that Jesus took was for one person only. In verse 24, but this man, because he continueth ever, he doesn't, he's not cut off by death like the priest of the Old Testament, is he? This man, uh, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. And since he has an unchangeable priesthood, and he's the only priest that ever filled this position, and he is going to ever live, it says, Wherefore, because of this, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Why? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for thee. Someone says, Do you believe in security? As long as Jesus is living on high, I'm secure. He's the priest forever, and he's able to save them to the uttermost. And how is it that he can save them to the uttermost? Completely and eternally without any uh, chance of fall or failure. How is it? Because he ever liveth. You see, in order to get rid of you and I, someone would have to get rid of Jesus. Because he's there as our representative, and he's there to take care of us. He's able to save them to the uttermost. And the reason being, he, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The priest of the Old Testament saved the people on a yearly basis because he made intercession for them on a yearly or annual basis. And he would come and confess over the head of the sacrificial animal, the goat, all the sins and all the iniquities and all the transgressions of all the children of Israel. All, all, all. And that one goat was sacrificed and killed. Another one, the same uh, imputation by laying the hands upon the head of that goat. The priest would impute to him all their sins. 
and all their iniquities and all their transgressions. And the live goat was taken away in the wilderness and let go, never to be found anymore. And when the man that took him away came back and returned, they could say, our sins are gone for another year. Someone said, well, you, you, you've got all these sins against you. No, they're gone. God imputed them to the head of that goat. God imputed all of our sins to the person of Christ. And He has not only taken them away into the land of forgetfulness, but He has returned as our great, He's our great high priest. He's seated on the right hand of God. And thus, because He ever lives, there's nothing can ever come between uh, us and God. You say, well, we can break fellowship as Christians. That's true. We can break fellowship with God by our sinfulness. And if we don't confess, well, fellowship is broken. But our eternal security is not broken. Now, you can live this life miserable as you want to be and with a broken fellowship between you and God. But it doesn't. that's not going to determine your eternal destiny. I'm thankful it doesn't. That doesn't alter that. Now, it will alter your fellowship, it will alter your happiness, it will alter how you live and how you enjoy your Christian life. But see, there's nothing going to change because he ever liveth to make intercession as far as your security is concerned. A whole lot will change here if we disobey God. We drift away from God, we have to suffer the consequences. And there's a high price tag to continuing in sin. There's a high price tag for, for Christians to sin. There was a high price tag for David. A man after God's own heart. And the message came to him, The sword shall never depart from thine house. And it never did. David paid for it the rest of his life. Don't ever think you're going to get all scot-free for the sins you commit. Even as a Christian, you're going to be chastened. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. says, if you be without chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons. That means you're illegitimate children. You don't belong to God. God loves you. He's going to chasten you. When you do wrong, just like you chasten and correct your children when they do wrong. And that we have been corrected as we were brought up when we did wrong. Okay, back to Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at the right hand, at thy right hand, shall strike through the kings, through kings in the day of his wrath. Okay, future victories of the priestly king. And there's going to be a day of his wrath. The Bible says in Revelation, the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Remember in Revelation chapter 6? And then, what's he going to do? It says, "He, the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. You read in uh, Revelation chapter, let's see, 11, I believe it is, and verse 15. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there, was a gr- there were great voices in heaven saying, Now listen, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You read in Revelation 19, and it tells that he's going to come and he's going to take complete charge. Revelation 19, verse 11, I saw heaven opening to behold a a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And listen, in righteousness, righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, who's he going to make war against? Heathen, wicked kings that have turned against him, that have been empowered by Satan, that have rejected God and all the, the commandments of God and all that is right and good. 
And it says he's going to judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This blood represents the blood of his wrath, the vesture dipped in blood. We know that he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for our sins, but this is talking about Christ coming in judgment. And his name is called the Word of God, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. That's you and I. That's the Christians that's coming back with the Lord when he comes to, to back to this earth. It says, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Tells you back in verse uh, 8 that this is the righteousness of saints. Verse 15 says, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should, what? Smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This is the vesture dipped in blood. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. It says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, the carrion birds, the fowls, the eagles, the, the, all those that feed upon the flesh of, of the dead that are upon the earth. Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of what? Kings. In righteousness he does judge and make war. There's going to be a terrible day of judgment at the end of the tribulation period for all that have kept on rejecting God through all this tribulation. It tells us when all these things of wrath happen, it says, Yet they repented not of their fornications, of their adulteries, of their sins. Even though the judgments were severe, it says, Yet they repented not of all these things. Have you ever heard people say when things get bad enough, people will repent? No, they won't. Not if they're hard-hearted, they won't repent. They, they start cursing God more. They start crying out against God in anger. Look at old Pharaoh back there. That's proof of it, isn't it? What happened to Pharaoh? When the judgments became great, he says, I know not the Lord. Who am I that I should obey God? Who am I? Who is the Lord that I, who, who is the Lord that I should obey Him? And when men vaunt themselves up against God, they're, they're asking for the wrath of God to be poured out. I, don't want, I want to come to Him submissive. I want to come to Him and say, Lord, You're in control. I'll just do what You want me to do. And first of all, he loves us and wants to save. That's his business. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Have you ever thought about the great love? Think of your love for your child or one of your family or your daughter, son or daughter. If you don't have a son, you have a daughter. Either way. But think of your love. Would you give that child, that son of your love or daughter of your love, that one of your own offspring, for even a righteous man, it says, for scarcely would a right for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But he says furthermore, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't do it because we were good. He died for us because we were yet sinners. And it goes on to say this judgment then is a result of rebellion and refusing God. It says that ye may eat the flesh of kings, they were in Revelation 19, verse 18, the flesh of mighty men and of horses, and them that sit on them, uh, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. That's the battle of Armageddon that's coming later on. And it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. That's this political beast. 
and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. They came to fight against Jesus, or they're going to. When I say they came, I'm talking about the context. It's all future. And it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he had deceived the, uh, them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Talk about a final day of judgment. There's going to be a final day of judgment. People say, well, why don't you preach on the love of God? I have. But you preach on the whole thing. You preach on the whole Bible. God is a God of love, but God is also a God of judgment. And a lot of people want to just have a good side. You know, like you want a coin with heads on both, both sides of it. It doesn't work that way. Everything has a reverse, doesn't it? There is, there is day and there is night. And you know, there's all these opposites in the world. There's good and there's bad. There's evil that we talked about Sunday morning in our message. And we have a tendency today to make it all good. We gave you a scripture last week that said, Woe unto those that call evil good and good evil. Call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Well, you know, you don't do that. Good is good and evil is evil. And nowadays, everybody's trying to say, well, what's wrong with that? It's all good as far as society, isn't it? Isn't that the way the world looks at it today? You can have the most wicked, ungodly things on the television. They say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, It's just, you know, you're in the 20th century. You're up to date now. Well, evil has been since the days of old. And God said it was evil then. He doesn't change His mind. I'm the Lord, I change not. And uh, His Word doesn't change. So we find the future victories for the king. Now then, let's look at the next verse. You have uh, Psalm 110, verse 6. He shall judge among the heathen. That's what we've just been talking about. He shall fill the, the places with dead bodies. That's what we've been talking about, right? And it says, He shall wound the heads, o- the heads over many countries. What are the heads? The rulers over many countries. The fall of the nations who have rejected and opposed the Lord, He's going to rule over many countries. And then in verse 7, He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall He lift up the head. Jesus is going to go through, He went through this world with the sufferings that He had to drink of, and then the glory was after. Jesus had to drink the cup of sorrow in the path of duty. Remember, He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. He drank of the sufferings before the glory came. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where there was a garden. The Bible says he cometh to a place called Gethsemane. It means the wine press. Gethsemane. And there he says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And there Jesus underwent the, the sufferings. And finally, the glory. The Bible says, Who for the joy that was set before him, in Hebrews chapter 12, endured the cross, despising the shame, and what? What happened? And they sat down on the right hand of God. You see, you and I want the glory without the suffering. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The suffering comes before the glory. The Bible says that if we suffer with Him, we shall also be glorified together, right? And Paul says, I reckon, he must have been a southerner. He says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory 
which shall be revealed in us. You and I try to compare them. Paul says they're not worthy to be compared. Why, why try to make an account of it here and, and in relationship to eternity? They're not worthy to be compared. Look at Psalm 111. Psalm 111, quickly. This is a psalm of praise for God's uh, works. Notice. By the way, it's believed that this psalm was sung before the Passover supper in Matthew 26, verse 30. This, was the, this is the first regular alphabetic psalm or alphabetical psalm. The first word of each verse begins with a Hebrew alphabet in order. Like we had used, uh, let me use our alphabet and say A, B, C. There's no C in the others, but A, B, D, I think is what you have find in Hebrew. But anyway, we'd, uh, in fact, that's not the way you, you, you get it. If you want to turn and see the words themselves, turn to Psalm 119 and you have them at the heading of each. See, Psalm 119 at the head of each octave, A-L-E-P-H, you have that? Okay, and then right on down before you get to verse 9, B-E-T-H. And then on down in verse 17, G-I-M-E-L. Verse uh, uh, 25, D-A-L-E-T-H. Verse uh, 33, right before that I'm talking, H-E. Verse 41, V-A-U. This, this is, comes from the Hebrew, and I don't, I don't understand it all, but I know it's the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet that these things are giving titles to these particular octaves or eight verses each time. So let's go back to Psalm 111. It says, Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. You have Psalm 111? This is a call to praise the Lord. By the way, the word Lord here is J-A-H, which is a short word, shortened form of Jehovah. Instead of Jehovah or Jehovah, it's J-A-H. And it's used in many compounds. You'll find it compounded in various ways. Notice it says, praise ye the Lord. It says, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. We're talking about wholehearted praise. What kind of praise should we give God? Not just fickle or haphazard or really unconcerned or maybe take it or leave it. With wholehearted praise. Like the psalmist in 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless His holy name. All that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me. Bless His holy name. So, from the very depths of our spiritual being inside. Wholehearted praise. You know, the heart as an organ is that is that pump that circulates blood throughout this physical body. But the inner heart, the heart of man... Inside of man, the inmost being of man, the soul, is that which uh, supplies our spiritual being. So that's why it's talking about, a, in a spiritual sense, this is, this is the heart we're talking about. It says, wholehearted praise. It says, with my whole heart. And it doesn't mean that which pumps the blood through our bodies. It means our inward spiritual heart that is set to praising God. In the assembly of the upright... Where are you to praise God? In the assembly of the upright. In the midst of the congregation. Hebrews 2.12, Jesus said, In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Where, do, where are we to give praise to God? It shows here that the assembly of the upright, or the congregation, is uh, important to God. Look at verse 2. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. 
We're talking about we need to praise Him for His great works. His work of creation. His work of grace. His work of giving the law. His work of care for us. His work of redemption especially is due our praise. Earnestly desired by uh, them that have pleasure therein. Look at this. Sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Look at verse uh, 3. His work is honorable and glorious. We're talking about the nature of His work here. Honorable. Nothing to be ashamed of. God has no regrets of all He's done. And glorious. Full of glory. Beautiful. His work is everlasting. His righteousness endureth forever. Ecclesiastes says, What the Lord doeth, He doeth forever. And then, in verse 4, it says, He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. His works are worthy of being remembered. God's people are easy to forget. The Bible says, They have forgotten me days without number. The Bible says they've hewn themselves cisterns which hold no water. God's people are easy to forget. That's why the Lord's Supper was given to the New Testament Christians. That's why Israel in the Old Testament had so many reminders. Remember all the feasts to remind them of things? Remember the Passover especially to remind them of their deliverance? And they had these things to remember. Remember what God has done. In the New Testament, Jesus said, This do in remembrance of me. What did He say? He's talking about partaking of the Lord's Supper. And he says, this is a reminder. In When you do this, he says, you do show or proclaim the Lord's death till He come. And all until Jesus comes, this is to be an ordinance in the New Testament church. To carry out, to bring to remembrance. We remember the Lord every Lord's Day as well. By, the, by assembling together, we remember the Lord because it is the Lord's Day. First day of the week when he rose from the grave. Alright? His works are worthy to be remembered. In the last part it says the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Doesn't that describe the Lord? He's full of grace and certainly he is compassionate toward us. Now then in verse uh, 5. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. Meat. He gives us his blessing. He provides for our needs. He hath given meat to them that fear him. Has the Lord filled you with the meat, your necessities? Does He give you food for your body and also food for your soul? Remember Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. That was food for Jesus. And what is our meat? Is our meat to serve God as well? Do we only just take in the food that He's given us spiritually? It says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. God's word is food to the soul. Job of old says, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But then there's also food for our souls when we serve God. Like when Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Do you get a, a feeding of your soul when you're serving the Lord? You sure do. That feeds your soul. And that's why sometimes you're, you're so much more blessed when you're serving God and more full of the things of God and the, the supply that He gives than when you're just out here haphazardly doing nothing or doing as you would do to please yourself. He will ever be mindful of His covenant. Look at the last part of this. He will ever be mindful of His covenant. God is not going to forget the covenant that He made with Israel. He's not going to get the covenant that He made with you and I. Look at the next verse. It says, He has showed His people the power of His works that He may give them the heritage of the heathen. He's manifested His power and He's promised. 
that he's going to give us the inheritance that we deserve. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is in us as a guarantee of our, he's the earnest of our inheritance until what? The redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. And someone says, how do I know I'm going to get the inheritance? God says, I've given you a down payment and he lives and abides in you. And this is your guarantee that you're going to possess the final deeds to, to your spiritual heavenly inheritance. You read that in Hebrews, not Hebrews, but I believe it's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 14. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, in the first verse. But then it says down in verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, that's in the first chapter, uh, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is, verse 14, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now listen, unto the praise of His glory. Each one of these stanzas in the first chapter end with the praise of His glory. You have the first one down in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, accepted in the Beloved, in verse 6. All of these under the praise of His glory. Now then, let's go on. We'll give you this quickly and and uh, try to finish this one chapter, and then we'll close. In verse uh, 7, it says, The works of His hands are verity and judgment. All His commandments are sure. There's nothing doubtful about God's commands. His work is founded upon truth and justice, verity and judgment, and all His decrees shall stand forever. The Bible says the word of our God shall stand forever. And it says His Commandments are sure. 